Our third speaker for the evening is Dr. Erin Wagan. Yeah. People know who Dr. Erin Wagan is. Is a trainee in neurology and loves all things brains, arts and sciences, but is particularly thrilled when those things combine. Outside of working as a doctor, he has written and performed in comedic plays and live art pieces in the Melbourne Fringe Festival and nearly completed a master's in neuroscience. He's an expert at spontaneous meal creation, always named by the dominant ingredient and the word surprise. You will probably know him best as one of the founders of the little known but entirely excellent science storytelling night in Melbourne called the Laboris Story. After many years of coercing us into writing and delivering stories for the show, it's with great pleasure we announce that he's finally stepping up to the stage, so please make him very welcome, Aaron Wagan. Thank you, everybody. Um, I am going to, going to be talking about an all right guy uh, whose name was Charcot. Um, and I'm going to need your help at various times uh, when I hold up the sign to say, good show, Charcot. <laughs> we'll give it a practice. One, two, three. Good show, Charcot. You sound lovely. Um, now, Charcot is most kind. Oh, and it's yes, it's on the back of a wash your hands poster. Because <laughs> that's environmental. Wash your hands, people. Um, Charcot, some of you may know, and most probably related to a particular part of the body, the foot. Yes, he's most widely known for describing a degenerative foot disease where you can't feel the joints in your foot and they crumble and your foot deforms. Quite apart from that, he was literally the founder of every field of neurology we know. But he's known for the foot and history is cruel. <laughs> he was born into a time in Paris, a time when Jean Valjean was 24601, <laughs> and Napoleon had just introduced the metric system to France, and the whole world, except for America, breathed a big sigh of relief because it just made sense. <laughs> and it was a time of propriety, and the rich soireed, and the poor suffered, and men died of consumption, and women died of consumption. And people suffered from a category of diseases called the nervous diseases. And there's a reason why we have such connotations with nerves and nervousness and the nervous diseases. And it's because before Charcot, it was all in one big bucket, one big swamp bucket of diseases. Anything that affected your brain or your function or people who were a bit odd or people who were psychiatrically affected or your anxious mother, they were all in the nervous diseases swamp bucket. And it was into this world that to a modest carriage maker called Simon Pierre, there was born a son called John Martin Charcot. Charcot was the eldest of four brothers, uh, and his father informed them that he only had money to send one to university. So it was a competition, and of course, Charcot won. Ah, very good. Charcot was, Charcot was gifted as an artist and was offered the choice either to do art 
or medicine. And he chose medicine. Um, but he was not recognised as a particularly bright or um, advanced student. And his first graduation thesis, um, in an idea that would later be known by the placebo effect, was rejected for being silly, because it couldn't exist, possibly. Uh, so he failed, and then he submitted a very boring one on pneumonia and became a doctor. Um, he had to struggle a bit for his first position, but finally found a position at a middling, a middle-range hospital called the Salpetriere that would become the professional theatre for his next 40 years until he died. The Salpetriere, in Charcot's words, the grand emporium of human misery. It was initially a gunpowder storage facility and it was made into an asylum in 1656 for sheltering the incapacitated, the beggared and the insane. Causes of death at the Salpetriere included debauchery, blows and wounds, masturbation, bad reading habits, nostalgia and misery. <laughs> Over the next 200 years, it grew into a massive asylum and when Charcot arrived, he had 5,000 chronically ill or destitute. In his words, incurables and women of all ages. <laughs> With every kind of chronic disease, particularly those of the nervous system. In other words, and this was his stroke of genius, in other words, he would say, we are in the possession of a kind of living pathological museum of considerable resources. He had two main teachers there. One was Vilpian, who was a pathologist and taught him how to use uh, microscopy. And this was the, at the time when microscopy was just coming into fashion. And the other one was Duchenne of muscular dystrophy fame, who was the first person to take muscle biopsies and hence discover the disease, muscular dystrophy. And then after that, he decided to spend the rest of his days uh, electrocuting people's nerves in various points and uh, seeing what muscles they activated. Um, so, and, and he also used photography, the other avant-garde new movement at the time in clinical practice for the first time. And Charcot was certainly influenced, as you'll see, by both of these people. But Charcot brought his own theatricality to his consulting. His consultation room was completely black and he would sit backlit by the sun streaming behind him through the window as his patients would sit down in front of him, surely blinded in that light. Clinically, he was unmatched. He sits down at the bare table and at once calls for a patient. The patient is stripped. The intern reads the history while the master listens attentively. Then there is a long silence during which he looks and looks at the patient while drumming his fingers on the table. The assistants huddled together, stand by anxiously, waiting for a word that might enlighten them. All the while, Charcot says nothing. Finally, he orders the patient to make a special movement, makes him talk, asks for his reflexes to be tested, his sensory system explored. And again, mysterious silence. He was the, a meticulous observer and took meticulous notes. And if it wasn't noted, 
he would photograph it or draw it. And he gave the first synthesized descriptions of the founding neurological diseases. From that swamp bucket of nervous diseases, he delineated multiple sclerosis, amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, or motor neuron disease. In France, it's still called Charcot disease, not Lou Gehrig disease. Charcot-Marie tooth disease, uh, which is a disease of peripheral nerves as they decay. Uh, it was simultaneously found by uh, Howard Tooth uh, in England, who was not a dentist. Uh, Parkinson's disease, syphilis, he loved syphilis. There's an adage that syphilis can do anything and Charcot loved diagnosing syphilis as doing anything. The Charcot foot that we know today as due to nerve damage due to diabetes, in that day, originally it was ascribed due to nerve damage due to syphilis. Um, which shows that our society is both too fat and not degenerate enough. <laughs> and seizures and aneurysms and strokes and legs and joints and gallbladders, one after the other, he discovered it. When you look at a modern neurology department, you see the direct echoes of the cardinal diseases that he described. And how did a single man see behind these symptoms and signs of so many diseases? with a brain saw and a lack of ethics. <laughs> Taking full and unconsensual advantage of the thousands in his care, he would take meticulous observations, and then when the patient died, autopsy. Autopsy, 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 to see what he would find. He had a maid in his care at the hospital who kept on breaking plates and kept on being very ashamed, and the head, the head maid wanted to fire her, and Chaco said, no. Keep her. <laughs> She'll be useful. <laughs> and many dinner sets later, Charcot diagnosed MS. <laughs> this method was called the clinico-anatomical method. And although he was not the first to employ it, he was the first to do so with such effect and enthusiasm. If in diagnosis he was unmatched, in regards to treating these diseases, he said, if you don't have a proven treatment for a certain illness, bide your time, do what you can, but do no harm to your patient. Whoops. <laughs> He'd try anything. Mercury for syphilis, bromide for epilepsy, hydrotherapy, which is not a calming bath. It's when you shoot water, cold water at high power out of a hose at your patient. Uh, and uh, electrotherapy, which is exactly as it sounds, often and everywhere, everyone should have it. If they're not yet better, shock them again. <laughs> With Parkinson's disease, it proved particularly stubborn. Everything, almost every, everything had been tried against the disease to no avail. Brown Saccard, a competitor, was suspicious of Charcot's expressed interest in testicular extracts, fearing he might steal the idea of the therapy. Brown Saccard wrote to a friend, you wrote to me that Charcot asked for some of the extract for the Salpetriere. Now you are writing that he is gathering all the testicles he can. He surely has the idea he can make a more powerful extract than from our laboratory. But Charcot's fame really spread with his Tuesday morning lectures. 
And these were to both to the doctors and to the public. And he would hold court, presenting typical and atypical cases, patient after patient, of certain diseases, drawing relevant elements on a board and discussing in a way that he became the Napoleon of the neuroses. And he enjoyed that sense of drama and he used various tricks like, for example, with a head in a patient with a head tremor, attaching a baguette to their head so as better to emphasize the movements. The history books do not say whether the patient was allowed to keep the baguette, but we hope they did. And his fame spread far and wide, and he went on trips across Europe, and the powerful and wealthy sought his care and took them to meet their daughters. And he became bored with the neurological diseases, and he turned to what was left in that swamp bucket of the, the nervous diseases, the hysterias. Hysteria. Throughout history, the label hysteria has been applied to mainly women and various, uh, with various physical and psychiatric symptoms. Causes suggested including a disruption of the psyche or the soul or, um, or a manifestation of being degenerate, read, a prostitute, uh, or a uterus that decides to wander, that old wandering uterus trick. <laughs> what a joker. And Charcot, as he'd done with all the other diseases, argued that it had a very specific pathological cause and he tried to find it and he observed and observed and autopsied and autopsied and autopsied and he couldn't find it. He did, however, continue to perform and his Tuesday lectures became a somewhat or more than somewhat disturbing cabaret. He had thousands of hysterics to wheel in and out to perform, hypnotising them, and he would touch certain limbs and get them to, 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 to move into various classical hysterical postures. For some reason, one of them is this. I don't know why. That's a classic hysterical posture. Um, and some perform better than others, like Marie Blanche Whitman, the queen of the hysterics, who would respond to Chacot at will. What a team. She would convulse on cue, quiet at a nod, and the watchman would watch and, and gawk and gape. Charcot liked handing her a cup of water and telling her that it was poison and asking her to give it to someone in the audience to drink, and she would. And I don't really know what that is apart from being really weird. <laughs> and Charcot would calm his series with, with age-old therapies like ovarian compressions, which is literally pushing on the ovaries. You know, it certainly was a good show that he put on, but I don't think we can say, good show, Charcot. Blanche, the queen of the hysterics, outlived Charcot, and after he died, she never had another convulsion. <laughs> though he might have had the last laugh, though not even 20 years ago, uh, medicine started to, to diagnose and find antibodies that cause psychiatric and behavioural disturbance. Oh, what a devil. In his personal life, he was a bit of an enigma. He was described as cold, secretive, inscrutable, and to exercise despotic authority. Silence usually came before a raging outburst. But his students 
loved him, like really loved him. They called him master. And it seems as long as they called him master and treated him like master, uh, that he graced them with their time and attention. Freud uh, was one of his students and you can imagine was heavily influenced by his uh, forays into hysteria. Um, wrote, Charcot, who is one of the greatest physicians and a man whose common sense borders on genius, is simply wrecking all my aims and opinions. <laughs> Charcot married, uh, and Freud again described Madame Charcot as small, rotund, vivacious, hair powdered white, amiable, in appearance not very distinguished. The wealth comes from her. And I have never read the phrase so many times in the last month. Charcot married a wealthy widow. It's every time she's described, she's described as a wealthy widow, as if she walked down the street and the bank would say, hello, wealthy widow. It's very unusual. He, had, he himself had, they had two children, both who he named after himself. What a wanker. But it was with animals that he showed the most joy. He, ex he experimented, obviously, to his heart's content with humans. But he hated animal experiments because of the cruelty and their poor, their poor, the poor applicability to medicine. To this end, the emperor of Brazil, Dom Pedro II, uh, one of Charcot's patients, gave him a monkey with whom he shared uncommon joy. <laughs> this is a quote. Translated by Google Translate. <laughs> oh, monkey, cuddles like a cat. The boss liked it very much, and he amused himself with all his skills. He took her a place at the table next to him on a child's table chair, and he was delighted when Rosalie chipped him a hazelnut or a treat on his plate, or did not look at her, went from the end of her tail to prevail a banana in a compote. And then the boss laughed with that silent laugh that shook his teeth, his chest, and, his, and all his person, and suddenly that animated and illuminated his usual concentrated gaze. He mixed with the wealthy. He was a, the first celebrity doctor. Maybe not the first, but he was certainly a celebrity doctor. And he, he drank from their wine and ate from their food and had poor health habits and smoked cigars and he developed heart disease and died at age 68. He was the first ever professor of diseases of the nervous system. He was the son of a shoemaker, an average medical student, did questionable things with patients, collected testicles, <laughs> had a wealthy widow wife, an infatuation with syphilis, and a pet monkey called Rosalie. <laughs> all in all, we'd probably say, Thank you very much.